Hey, everyone. Before we start this podcast with Chief Barker and Major Dom, I've got to throw out a couple corrections. Uh, you'll hear that me and Aaron, uh, and it is my fault because I, I told Aaron this, but uh, I kept using CFM or Career Field Functional Manager and Chief Barker and Major Dom, they are not CFMs. They are MFMs, meaning they are Major Command Functional Managers. So um, I got that wrong. So that's my bad. And then additionally, um, after we got off, Chief Barker pinged me and said, hey, there's two additional things that I wanted to mention and I didn't get a chance to, or at least he forgot. So um wanted to give him an opportunity to provide that. So make sure you stay on until the end where he talks about how TACPs are being placed inside guardian angel rescue units uh, to help with a bunch of different things. And then also the agile control and integration teams, uh, which he also talks about. It's a quick two minute uh, segment at the end, but interesting stuff nonetheless. And again, just had to get on here and caveat that usually don't make mistakes that egregious, but uh, I know better and I should not have done that. So later. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Ones Ready team room. We got a special one for you today. We're going to twi- quick turn this one. So we've heard a lot of rumors. There's a lot of stuff in the news. And what do we do here? We get to truth data as fast as we possibly can. We haven't talked about this in depth yet because we don't need to be first. We would just like to be correct. And where do you go when you need the correct source of information? You go to the leaders, right? So we've got the TACPO and the uh, TACP functional managers on the podcast today, Dom and JB. Welcome to the podcast, Chief, Major. Thank you for coming on. We really appreciate your willingness to come on and talk about TACP. I uh, no, appreciate the, the time and the uh, opportunity. Thanks for having us. Yeah, absolutely. An open invite. You can come on whenever it is that you want. So obviously, we're going to hit the, the big news topic first. <laughs> Newsflash to everybody that's listening. This isn't actually news. Nothing in the military. The military is a huge ship. It takes a long time to correct course on a huge ship. So we're just going to get you to some truth data. We're going to lay out some breadcrumbs here. And, and we're essentially going to talk about what you've seen. And it's the cuts to TACP in the TACP career field. So, you know, first and foremost, I want to kind of level everybody's expectations here. You know, sir, chief, can we just talk about why has the requested TACP support gone down? We've seen this on the, you know, the combat control side too. Everybody freaked out about the whole JTAC thing. And we have to explain to people over and over again, hey guys, we're not in a three theater DTAC conflict where the requests are coming in as hot as heavy, as hot and heavy. So, you know, what were sort of some of the decisions and some of the atmospherics that led to what we're seeing now, which is, you know, potential cuts in the TACP career field. Right. So the, uh, you, you nailed it, right? The, there's not the demand from the, across the three theaters at this time, really. UCOM is the, about the only theater with a with a high demand for uh, a TACP presence right now. And even then, they're not doing combat operations, right? It's all the deterrence mission stuff. So that went into some of the discussion. Also, the fact that uh, TACP has been doing 20 years of just cast in the coin environment. And while that's not what TACP was founded on, we were founded on a tactical C2 uh, capability. We that enables CAS. We have only done CAS for 20 years. And when the programmers at half had to make some tough decisions, um, TACP was one of the decisions that they decided to cut. And I will comment that there's, you know, TACP cuts was one of many uh, weapon system cuts throughout the Air Force to get after some programming issues. Right. And, and people have been talking about that too. And I, I want to just tee this up for you to smash it, right? Like there's a bunch of different weapon systems that have been cut. Obviously, 
people are emotionally attached to some of these weapon system. I won't say which one. I'll say it starts with an A and ends with a 10. Those two things were linked in a couple of a couple of things that came out. Can you provide some truth that Every, everybody is making the conspiratorial sort of uh, comment that, oh, the, these things were connected. Is there any truth to that, sir? So there, there's no truth to that. Right? The timing does suck for it. Um, the A-10 has been looking at for divest, divestment for over the last five years. Um, mm-hmm. it happens that it's finally getting traction within the same year that the tech peak cuts of uh, contraction. So there, there is no uh, correlation between the two. Um, TACP, like I said, has been a tactical C2-based entity that operates on the Ford Edge. And uh, even if the A-10 goes away, there's still a lot of capability that TACP provides to the force that is not dependent on the A-10 at all. Absolutely. And it's a safety blanket. We all love it. Everybody on, you know, on this video right now, you love hearing the A-10 overhead. It's a the titanium bathtub that's built around a gun fantastic right like nothing but great things to say but you know once again it takes a long time for the military to turn its course and sometimes we do in a direction that people aren't comfortable with but the only thing that's constant is change and that's where we're heading so as we're sort of moving into where we're going you know what where you guys are going as the TACP career field and stuff that you see on the horizon you know can you kind of talk us you know how are how are the cuts going to be rolled out and what is your expectation you don't you don't have to back yourself into you know speaking into direct numbers or whatever but as this evolves how are you going to see the air force getting to write on the tag p numbers so so the initial start uh this is over a, a couple year span we're not expecting the the cuts to hit all at once and, and impact every single unit across uh, active duty or National Guard, uh, you know, starting next fiscal year. But we do know that it'll be spread over um, the, the next couple of years. And while we have some other ideas of how to spread those out, um, there is, again, back to Chief's point, the, the baseline of TACP and, and coming back to that core mission of that C2 and and creating that, you know, continuing to have that expert communicator and that joint firepower integrator uh, on the battlefield in maybe what what might look a little different to to the joint service, but still executing the same functions that we that we always have. So, uh, and I'll let Chief jump. Yeah, the only thing I just do is, uh, you know, you said not to talk numbers, but there is some number of clarification that we need to do out there. So there. Depending on which article, at what point in time you're looking at, you'll see anything from basically a 40% to a 50% cut. And just to get this, the clear numbers out there is what it is, is it's a 50% cut as the project ID uh, that cut 50% of our meal PERS funding, right? So that, that includes everything beyond just your basic pay. It's all your GI Bill, everything else like that. Um, when you apply that meal PERS funding to the actual funded positions, it equates to 44% of the positions. So that, that's the, the issue. And then on top of that, there's some what's called work year funding in the system that allows us to retain bodies past it. So while, as Major Carsey Polo said, over the next three years, we're looking at um, applying that 44% cut to the positions, uh, the funding for the faces, as we call it, the people themselves, uh, has a two-year extension on it. So we won't actually have to lose bodies until FY27 or later. Um, and okay. even then, a lot of stuff that has to go into it for Air Force programming and stuff like that. Air Force, what we've been told is Air Force doesn't target specific AFSCs. And so as long as the Air Force is at its end cap, we'll be able to retain overages inside the AFSC. Okay, so it, it will actually be bodies and not just manning positions being cut 
and and or unfunded positions? So it will be a cut to uh, positions, funded positions, but we can retain overages on the faces. So the bodies go anywhere necessarily, but we are looking at opening up aperture for other uh, avenues for TACPs, whether that's be cross training that's going to the guard or just we are looking at where we can put TACP into other entities and actually spreading our wings a little bit and showing the Air Force all of our capability. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm I'm glad you mentioned the Guard. So the Guard, you know, we've heard that there are some units that are completely shutting down. uh, Others, others, rumors, if you will, we have heard that they are not. Um, So what can you talk to the Guard aspect of those cuts? The the best that we can, <laughs> the best that we can probably talk to the guard right now is that there uh, there's a lot of discussion and it all comes back to what I'll probably say is state representatives and in the individual wings and tags and how their uh, what their best argument or what their best decision points can be for how they can position their state individually for the next thing um, whether that's maintaining the argument that they should keep an ASOS or or what they think is next but. The best fidelity we have is that the guard is talking about closing units. Um, I, I can't specifically tell you uh, just you know down the list what that looks like or or where they're going to end up, but there's a lot of opportunity. The guard is also looking at and offering guys you know hey you can you can cross cross state lines if you desire that or you can um, you know if that's what you want and you're you know this is where you want to call it then that's that's up to the individuals. So um, they are open. A lot of opportunities as well as we've been doing a lot more with the MPA days and trying to pull some guard guys to, to fill some holes that we have on active duty as well to keep those opportunities there. Okay. That makes sense. So I, I mean, and again, the point is not to play gotcha. So I, I don't want to pinch into a corner here, but like what, this is an air force level decision. What did the, the army because the TACPs and TACP officers typically support the army directly. So what did the army really have to say to this? And did they, did they kind of get a vote or anything like that? And cause I can't imagine, I mean, you guys are always being tasked out. Those, those taskings have not diminished. They haven't necessarily gone away. Yeah. There's some ebb and flow as we, as we talk about operations downrange and everything, but TACPs are still heavily requested and I don't see that going away anytime soon. Plus with the Manning drawdown, I mean, it, it kind of paints you in a corner and your biggest customer is the army. So what do they have to say? So when the decision was made to cut the to cut tech P, like I said, it was, it was involved with a lot of other weapon systems. There was a point in time uh, for all the other services to provide a position paper back on those cuts because tech P was buried under some other high uh, profile weapon system cuts. It, Type P was just left out of the conversation at, at that point. So there wasn't a missed opportunity. However, our team here uh, has started up um, doing some planning team uh, engagements. We do them almost weekly with our Army counterparts, and the Army is building their voice now uh, for what we hope will be some warfighter talks later in the year, but that is uh, undetermined at this point in time. But you, you are correct. The Army is our, our biggest advocate. The Army wants to advocate for us. Um, they have a high demand for the, the capabilities that TACP brings beyond just casts. Uh, they are highly dependent on our C2 uh, communication. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, we expect there to be further conversation uh, on that matter. The, the other tricky part, too, is the Army's still, and 
expertly doing it and they're planning and their and their uh, processes, but still figuring out what's next and, and how they transition their force to the next fight too. So uh, I think everybody's figuring it out as we go and it's kind of a slow pro- slower process, um, but I think we're getting there. No, you're absolutely right, sir. And I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that is a, a transitional period in time that all the services, almost all the, at least many of the combat AFSCs or Air Force Specialty Codes are going through um, as, you know, we have gotten, for lack of better words, comfortable for the last 20 years of doing operations. We, we know COIN, we know that, like we're, we're comfortable at it and we're good at it, yet we are kind of going into the unknown, especially since we're not in a, a major conflict right now. We're just kind of feeling it out and, and seeing where we can plug and play and kind of hone skills and, and TTPs and stuff that we have kind of neglected o- over the last couple of years and now have got to kind of refocus. So, um, JB, you brought up the future and you, well, actually you brought up command and control and forward edge C2 and distributed C2. Um, so that kind of brings us into the future, like from, from your, you know, 20,000 feet level, what are you seeing as the future of TACP and TACPO? All right. So from, to start with, uh, right now, TACP is all of our unit type codes, our UTCs that cover our man, our manning and equipment are driven by army echelons, right? So we have a brigade TACP, division TACP, core TACP, so on. What we are getting after is the first initial change of our for the future is we're going to a capability-based UTCs, right? So the, we're going to the three core functions of TACP, and that is our C2 capabilities, our ability to liaise, i.e. integration, and then our ability to provide precision strike of joint fires. And that's not just CAS, that's all joint fires. And so those are the three foundational UTCs um, that we're building the TACP capabilities on. We're having that conversation with the Army and how we present those capabilities. And because of our limited capacity due to the cuts, where we lay down that capacity on the battlefield, uh, taking in mind that the UCOM and into PACOM theaters uh, will be different. Uh, a lot of emphasis right now is on the TAC PC2 because that is one of the bigger gaps inside the DOD. And we're, we are flushing out how we employ that uh, TAC PC2 capability. So to think of it historically, TAC PC2 is just our evolution of the ASOC capability, the Air Support Operations Center, which has historically been tied to the Army to provide that air power integration and distribution of air. Uh, moving forward, instead of it being a single team with shifts, we are building out the TAC PC2 to enable multiple teams to be dispersed to um, spread that C2 capability, um, whether it be you know across a linear battlefield or island hopping, whatever, whatever kind of theater we are operating in at that point in time. So that's our first step is creating a robust uh, TAC PC2 capability with independent teams that are fully fully capable for short periods of time uh, in order to, and can, sorry, and can operate inside the contested environment, right? So they can go forward beyond what historical C2 agencies have been able to, beyond what air platforms will be able to because of threats and everything else like that. So the type PC2 can get into those contested zones and, uh, and establish small, what we're calling small C2 bubbles for um, control and command of any joint fires or precision strikes that may go on. 
Yeah. So, Chief, Chief, just to clarify there, because I'm I'm a I'm a dumb Jay, right? I know ropes and medicine, and that's about it. So, when we talk about these these small teams, like that excites me. That excites me in a professional and a tactical sense because what it sounds like is that you are going to give a team of professionals where TACP it's it's sort of the enabler of the attachment mission. You're moving the same way that ST is moving, where you have an Air Force team of professionals and a capabilities package that you can offer to the larger force to get after both air-centric and ground-centric problems at the same time. Tactically speaking, when you give that team to the to the the force that needs it, right? Like you're the force provider to the force requester, essentially of, the, of of that need. How does that actually flesh out? Like, can you speak a little bit to what that actually looks like on the ground, or is that still in development? So a lot of it is still in development. We've asked our uh, teams out there to go and do some what we're calling validation events, but there's multiple ways you could uh, frame it. But basically, get out there into some exercises. Uh, exercises that ta- that Tech P historically doesn't participate in, right? So we normally do Army exercises. We are getting more involved with Air Force uh, exercises to experiment and validate this capability. Um, right now, a lot of our design is we're looking at roughly uh, six man crews of these small teams, and then and then we have to tack on their force protection measures with it, right? So that's sure. that operational team that's providing the C two capability. Uh, heavy on the TACP AFSE, but you know we're we're limited in our, what we can actually do, and so we have to bring bring in other ex- experts to help us uh, operate some of the equipment, especially in today's environment that's very heavy on networking and everything else like that. Building out the links, um, and so we've got to bring other expertise with us. And one of our <clears throat> one of our bumper stickers, I guess, I'll throw on top of these is that we. When we brief these UTCs and we brief them as capabilities, we, we call them capabilities-based, joint-focused, and threat-relevant. Um, and then that's kind of like our bumper sticker to focus these UTCs in the future um, in that they are not – they're plug-and-play into what the, the joint force is looking for down the road in our mind. And using those exercises that we can find, and uh, we've got some pretty good examples so far, but we're, we're still looking for better ways to do that. And we're asking a lot of the – of the field right now to kind of use their, use their imaginations a little bit um, and break out of that. Just, you know, what we've historically done mindset and kind of give us how we can make this, uh, make this better going forward. Well, it's because you're moving an entire career field out of situation based application to systems based application. The bumper sticker that you just crushed for us, sir. Thanks. That's, that's what a great IG reel looks like. But basically what that says is you're going to have capabilities that solve a myriad of problems inside of a system as opposed to one situation. You have a target. I need to blow it up. That's one situation. We've done that for 20 years. You know, blow that compound up, make that compound dust. Got it. Tack peas are second to none in joint terminal attack control. They got it. But now what you're asking them to do is you're asking them to take those core competencies and make it to a systems-based approach where they can apply that to a myriad of different emerging threats or 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 situations, and they're going to be able to work inside of all of those different things. That's a huge mindset shift, even at the tactical level. Yeah, no, absolutely. Which, like I say, we're asking a lot of the operational guys to help us in in how we shape this, because uh, I'll be honest with you, uh, you know, like JB and I, we can probably sit in a back room and, and think of all these ideas for a really long time. And we're still not going to get to the right answers that some of those guys at the at the tactical level can feed back to us based on you know, the application in the time and space they're doing it. 
it's frustrating as a senior leader, isn't it, sir, where you sit in the back and you think you got it figured out and it doesn't make con- like first contact. So you, you walk out into the team room and you, it immediately your napkin gets blown up right away. And that's not exactly <laughs> the best feeling, but that's yeah, how it's supposed a, to go. Yeah, it's a new experience. Uh, <clears throat> so as, as we kind of talk. So. <laughs> nice. As we kind of talk through, uh, you know, Chief, you you mentioned there there were these you know three kind of mission areas, mission UTCs that you were looking at, and we looked at you know that combined C two first, and if the second, if I'm remembering correctly, was that that exquisite air to ground integration and liaison capability. Can you kind of go into more of what that UTC looks like? Yeah, Roger. So right now on that one, we're looking at roughly a ten uh, man element. Uh, again, heavily heavy on the uh, tech P. AFSCs, but uh, it will require support from other AFSCs. And, you know, one of the foundational capabilities of TACP is our, you know, we we liaison with the other services, with the other, primarily the Army, but the joint services and how to integrate air power. Um, well, while we have some operationally focused uh, strike in C2 UTCs, we still have that core function of integration. And so that's the bodies we're looking at doing that. Like these would be the bodies that are sitting in your talk uh, at the division, at the core level, uh, whatever else the army wants it. I mean, an example could be if the army is talking about their MDTFs, uh, that would be within the combatant commands to make that decision. But um, that that's kind of how we're tailoring this. And then as we go out and grow this capability for the joint force and not just the army, the, whenever somebody is looking for, air power integration, this is the UTC the Air Force will task to that. And so we're looking at applicability, you know, supporting the Marine DAS, the Navy, whatever it may be, uh, any joint element out there that requires that air power integration. And that's, and really that's never going away. The air power integration is never going away. And that's, that is on the TACP side of the house, TACPO, the the special tactics side of the house. That is always going to be a requirement yeah, rescue um, ACC yeah. needs air to ground integration and, you know, crows and, and, and the rescue teams out there, not that they don't have it in their skill set. Of course they're, you know, my, my maroon hatted brothers are unbelievable in the things that they can do, the things that they can learn. But really when you're looking for that subject matter expert, TACP is that ACC asset that they've started rolling in over the last couple of years with great results, by the way. And one thing I want to caveat is, you know, we've been talking some numbers on some of these UTCs. And what, one of the things we are specifically getting after as we design these capability-based UTCs is we're making them tailorable. And so while I say integration is a 10-man, if your requirement is only three bodies, then that's what that capability can provide, right? We, we don't have to provide all 10 bodies to get after that air power integration. For sure. And and for, for the folks that are out there that, you know, because our audience – good chance they don't know what a UTC is. Do you mind hopping (laughs) into what a UTC is? Like we actually try and and kind of spell out the acronyms, but can you, can you please, uh, either one of you, please define what a UTC is? Sure. So a a UTC uh, is a unit type code. It's just the uh, Air Force's system and it, it, every service has a version of it uh, for tasking assets. And so a unit type code is made up of three things. It's your mission capability, i.e. a statement, one paragraph that just says what this UTC provides to the joint force. Uh, your man for, which is your manpower detail that just says, okay, hey, here's, here's all the manning that comes with this UTC. And then your uh, logistics detail, which just defines all the equipment that moves with that. And then that one's more important to the defining the tonnage of the log desk so that they know what it takes to move it, how many ships, how many, or 
how much room on the ship or how many aircraft you're going to need. Yeah. As no, a deploy, as a deployment load daddy, many times you're giving me, my heart rate is at 185. I'm like, Oh man, <laughs> I got to figure out, I got to figure out the log dad. I got to figure out this movement plan. How many UTCs do we have? That's 37 ISUs and 42 vehicles. <laughs> but for, for folks out there, that's, it, you know, it seems, it seems ridiculous that we would construct that way. But when you start talking about, Hey, uh, a request for forces that, Hey, I, instead of, I need, uh, six tack P's, four vehicles. It's just like, Hey, here's a UTC. There you go. That's what it is. And then when it goes to, uh, transcom or, or, uh, the transport command that, that starts doing, I'm trying not to use acronyms, tries to do the tip vid and all that kind of stuff. Then it says, okay, we can place this. And that's, that's where the, the logistics and readiness and all that kind of stuff goes in. So anyway, try not to nerd out. Quick question for you. The, the set teams, I think it's sensing, sensing effects team. The uh, integrated uh, sensing and effects teams, the ISET, which is a, a subcategory of the tech, tech piece strike capability. Okay. So we're going in. Okay. So, well then now let's talk about your, your, your third kind of priority and focus, which is, is strike. So, not, not only are you experts in, in close air support and the, the joint terminal attack controller qualification and, and everything that goes on with that, but so how are you guys still executing that? And then how are you tying in the, the integrating set team stuff? So the we'll just start with the bigger picture of the TACP uh, strike capability, and then we'll narrow in on the ISET. So the um, capability itself is being designed around our ability our, our unique ability to basically control any joint fire out there. So one of the one of the unique things that TechP brings is not only that we can operate in that forward edge beyond where most uh, entities train to operate, but in the while we're operating in there, we bring almost every waveform available to the Air Force or to the DoD wide into that uh, contested area, and so that allows us a unique ability to actually talk to anything that flies through the air, basically, and. Uh, so we built the UTC capability around that. And inside of that, while we, you know, Army is still our, our primary customer. So we had to build some capability inside of there of how we would man a brigade and how we would man a battalion with this capability. We, um, there's a smart team of our uh, patches that got together and formed up the uh, integrated sensing and effects teams that we then employed in uh USAFE and deterrence and for the uh, UCOM mission. And so far it's been well received on these uh, small teams. We're still, this is still one of those capabilities that we're fleshing out because we got to determine what the size is. A lot of that's going to be determined on how we're employing it. You know, whether there's, whether it's integrated with a host nation and getting support from their force protection measures, stuff like that. We're integrating it with another uh, DOD service or it's, operating it by itself, which makes the, the package much bigger and maybe is two I-sets and team together versus one. But basically, it's putting the, the TAC-P, and this one is solely based on TAC-P AFSCs, but putting that TAC-P weapon system in that forward edge in that contested environment to operate and employ joint fires or um, employ as a sensing node that can actually feed data back to the force. And okay. Yeah. <laughs> Important important point to highlight too is that while we while it's TACP strike and that's you know the the core is there's still that base we're trying to get back to is that command and control and those guys are going to be 
potentially in locations to where they can receive or push information via whatever means. And, and that could be the way to communicate in a, you know, threat relevant denied degraded environment in some cases. So um, just something else is that, that not to highlight only the strike aspect of it, but it is still a key C2 component as well. Yeah, we get this question all the time where people are like, oh, what does the future fight look like? And how does that work with agile combat employment and multi-capable airmen? Like, I hope people are hearing your words and and envisioning not only a team that can provide these exquisite C2 far forward capabilities, they can defend themselves. They are shooters first. They shoot, move, communicate. They're mobile. They're able to move around and have these capabilities everywhere on the battlefield that dovetails perfectly into what we're trying to do. If you look at, you know, Indo-Pacific, if you look at some sort of near peer uh, adversary environment where we need somebody that can get, you know, we have a million great professionals that can bring these waveforms, you know, that, that, that can field these waveforms. We don't have professionals that can field those waveforms anywhere, anytime under threat. And TACP is those people that can do that. So, you know, we, we have this question all the time. Well, how are we going to do it? You, you just explained it perfectly. You get these waveforms into the hands of professionals that can go in, protect themselves and get into a gunfight if needed. That's, that's an exquisite capability that nobody else has across the DOD. Well said. Yeah. We, t- we tend to <laughs> <laughs> look at that. <laughs> <clears throat> Well, so as this concept, and, and I'm going to call it a concept just because I don't think it's a, a, I don't think you guys have made it a program or record yet, but, and it's still in development. So as it's still in development, like, what do you envision being the kind of, uh, the size of the team and what they will actually do? And why, why is that? And again, this is a, an enormous question for you to have to answer, but like, what are the the benefits that it provides? So we know that it's going to be passing data to, to people and that part of that command and control, but I mean, we're really putting folks on the forward edge. I mean, it's in the name, you know, forward edge, uh, behind enemy lines to provide this data for folks. So what, what are they, how important is that? And what kind of data are they providing in those small teams? So the, the, the team constructs and the size kind of varies. And again, working to validate it, we're working with the, the theaters um, and specific to how they would employ this capability inside their theaters. And it may vary based on the theater where we may envision smaller teams in the UCOM versus in Indo-PACOM where, you know, they, they're going to have to operate for longer periods of time by themselves. So the, right now, the, the constructs of the teams are anywhere from two to eight people, but realistically, two is probably not the right answer. So we're probably more in the four to eight uh, person realm. And then uh, the smaller the number, the more reliant are we will be on integrating with other assets for that those force protection measures and stuff like that. Um, so as we employ these forces forward, the um, what we really think the true benefit is, is, yeah, you know, there's the net enabled weapons and we can, you know, support some of that, but really it's that sensing side of things of getting out there and identifying the targets in inside where inside an area where normal assets can't fly, maybe hindered through camouflage, whatever it may be, but we can get teams closer uh, to identify that. And then inside whatever network, whether it be the link 16 network link, whatever, or, you know, through MUOS, all the, any 
waveform out there. Sorry, I'm trying to not. You're you're good. Wait, it's fine. I know. I know you've got you got two things you're working through right now. One is try not to break any kind of uh, opsec. So tracking, you know, yeah. and then also I I can hear the F-22s uh, yeah. raging in the back. So they always put the Air Force base next to an airport, which makes talking to people really hard. It's so weird. <laughs> But yeah, so as uh, the tech people get out there, right, this is one of the things that we have to really refine the most inside the career field. Because, you know, we've been doing joint fires. We've been doing C2 for a long time where we haven't really been a, a formal sensing node for the Air Force. And so operating in those areas, being able to pump data back into the system and that, that enables, uh, you know, Army HIMARS, F- F-35s with standoff weapons, whatever it may be. But in order for them to strike those targets with accurate targeting data. Man, that's that's fantastic. I know we kind of started off on sort of a downer where you had to talk about some bad news. But as we've transitioned here through the future of what we're looking at and all these other things, like I can't help but be excited at where we're going. So for all the candidates that are out there, right, um, you know what they're doing is they're trying to listen to this and they're trying to make their decision, hopefully just for AF spec war. Hopefully we've completely steered them away from the Navy and the Army and the Marines. And they're just like, hey, Air Force is it. But you know, what kind of candidate are you looking for? As we talk about ISET teams, as we talk about these new UTCs, as we talk about leveraging new technology inside of these, you know, not necessarily new, but revamped capabilities, what kind of people are you looking for to do these jobs? What kind of people, what kind of candidate are you looking for to be the TACP moving into the future? I think we've, uh, I mean, I think we've always had some of these guys uh, in these self-starters, the guys that are thinking outside the box and can solve problems quick without, I don't want to say a lot of direction, but, you know, they're on those mission type orders. They're out doing something in the woods with a land nav and they lose a something and they got to go back and find it, but they know they got a short time. So they're thinking through the process in their own mind and not waiting for someone to tell them how to do it. Um, we, we've had a lot of guys who the most recent successes have been self self teaching some of that technology piece because we're arguably asking dudes to do some things with with uh some more technologically advanced equipment than than in the past uh not to not to degrade the jerk 206 and anybody who's <laughs> used it um there's a lot of things that pushing buttons and and getting to and you know 25 cents to get in and all the other things the cheat codes it's it's a lot deeper in the knowledge base and we need guys that are that are willing to self self teach and and ask and, and search out those uh, opportunities to learn, um, but but also the guys, kind of like you said, the the tactically driven ones who are who are down to, to integrate with other people and, and make the mission happen. And I'll let I'll let Chief jump in on that. I'm sure he's no, got. I think you you nailed it all, sir. You know, we're not just looking for that physically fit guy anymore <coughs> that we used to in the past, right? Where we could throw a 120 pound rucksack on their back and send them out there to go live for 72 hours. Uh, we're looking for physically fit people. Because uh, there is a lot of equipment that comes with operating all these waveforms, but you know, technology is bringing the f- the it to the form factor to a lot smaller footprint, uh, enabling us to bring more. Um, but at the same time, while we need physically fit people, we really need the people that understand networking and IPs and um, all this other stuff that is honestly common. I say common, but is is being ingrained in the the younger generation today a lot more than it was in say you know old guys like me. Um, so networking, what <laughs> so we, we look forward to, you know, bringing on those physically fit and, um, techno, technology, techno, well, technological, you know what I'm, or, technologically yeah, savvy folks. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, I, I think, 
you know, Trent has coined the term. He, we want super duper fit nerds that won't quit. Like that's kind of like where we're moving there. And I, that's a, that's a good thing. And then for the record, the only reason that I laughed at the jerk 206 comment was because I'm good at context and everybody else was laughing. I did not know what that was. Put that out there, <laughs> it's a so. big radio pallet that used to go in the, or still does, I guess in the back of a Humvee and it's got some old ass radios in it. Tight. Yeah. I guess, guess we all learned something today. <laughs> still in use today in some places. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Reference only because I, I knew chief Parker would get it and then peaches as well. <laughs> Uh, you got two old good. guys on here. Yeah. yeah. Know your audience, sir. Well done. <laughs> so, you know, as we kind of move towards the end of this thing here, I, I do want to talk about some of those capabilities that are on the future. This is the only, you know, the only, the only gotcha question that I'm going to put up to you and I'll leave it to your own, you know, recognizance to answer this how you want. But, you know, King for a day, you have the ability right now, you know, we, we have to accept reality for what it is, right? Like the air force is going to make decisions. We're going to get those orders, intent and guidance. We're going to move out. Got it. Like the only constant in the air force has changed. Same as the military, but King for a day between, you know, you chief and you, sir, you want to, you want to lay your, your cards on the table here. And you'd be like, this is what I think TAC P can be. And this is where I think we can provide the most effects whether it's technological advances, whether it's, you know, different capabilities, whether it's, you know, different team structure, where do you see TACP going where they can do, you know, answer the most problems and cause the most problems for the enemy? What does that look like for you in the future? And, you know, Chief, I'll open it up with you first. Yeah, so for when we look at the services, you know, we have this thing called JADC2, the Joint Air, Joint All Domain Command and Control Problem that's uh, solving interoperability problems across the force. Well, as I said, TACP is one of the unique entities that actually has all those waveforms. We are interoperable by nature. We already have to talk to everything in the joint service. And so we bring that capability to the battlefield. And we've been t talking a lot about TACP operating on that forward edge. But realistically, you can deploy TACP anywhere on the battlefield where you need that interoperability per se. So th that's one capability uh, we bring to the fight. And then uh, I forgot the second half of your question. It's because it was long and I didn't need to like say it the way that I did. No, so the, the, the intent of the question chief was just like, Hey, you know, we're going to, we're going to have these capabilities and roll them in and then King for a day. You know, what do you think the teams look like going forward? What problems do you think we can solve for the air force? Because the, the real underlying feeling about everybody right now is, Oh no, what is TAC P going to do moving into the future? I am of the mindset and I've said it before on multiple podcasts that, you guys, TACP, are indispensable and indisposable in a, in a very important niche that, that we cannot just get rid of. Like, we can't just throw radio guys far forward. That is going to put them in a bad situation. You also can't put, you know, maybe your knuckle dragger sort of operators out far forward and expect them to integrate all of these technological advances that we have. Like, that's not going to work either. I think TACP is the right blend of those two things. So going forward in this future fight, if you could just King for a day, be like, these are what the teams looks like. These are what their capabilities are. And this is how we fit in the future force. I guess I'd say, what does that look like? Yeah. So thank you. The, uh, what I would say is tech P King for the day tech P. If I could put them anywhere on the battlefield, I would continue to place them inside those contested zones where other assets can't get to because TACP, as you pointed out, is a very well-trained capability that brings that C2 and joint fires expertise. And so um, employment across the battlefield, on a linear battlefield, island hopping, whatever it may be, TACP can fill all those C2 gaps that are constantly being talked about at the higher echelons, right? 
I mean, the DOD literally stood up a whole organization of JADC2 to solve what TACP does for the joint force today. Um, so uh, King for a day, I'd uh, stand on some desks, tell some people that, hey, you already have this capability. Stop cutting it. Um, fund it where it needs to be funded, which isn't in retrospect to a bunch of other assets. It's not a lot of funding. And uh, employ it appropriately. Um, well, while we continue to support the Army, we are a joint force asset and can be employed across the joint force. So I'll reverse the role and say, like, well, I'll piggyback off the chief here. Um, the, the only ad that I'll make is I think that we have a unique ground-focused, air-minded guy that can hit the key aspects of tactical communications, joint firepower integration, and command and control from the edge back to the AOC. And I think there's some in-between gaps there of communications that are not not by any, uh, you know, malintent missing that ground-focused tactical C2 guy. But I think we can fill those gaps that they may have in, in the next conflict or the next discussion of there's air-minded people and they're, they're air-focused and how that ATO plays out is, is uh, how the air tasking order, sorry, plays out um, is just how it's going to play out where I think we've got guys who are innovators and thinking quickly to, to readjust and, and dynamically task and, and adjust people on the fly, uh, no pun intended, to, to get that communications from the bottom to the top of the chain quickly and effectively to, to help decision makers and also you know, impact the battlefield quickly. And then everything else. If you use one, <laughs> and everything else, Chief said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually, commander. it's the chief that uh, that piggybacks. The caveats and piggybacks. Yeah, exactly. He's got he, chief. You haven't even said behoove one time. I don't even know who you are. <laughs> or a like. knife head. I know, not a single. And it's crazy. <laughs> um, so, I, as both of you guys are know, and, and JB, I know, I know you remember this from from being a younger dude. Um, it is rare that as a young TACP or a young dude on team, it, regardless of your career field, gets to hear straight from the career field functionals mouth about like, hey, what do I, what advice would you give? Like, what do I have, what do I have to be excited about kind of thing? So I, I would, I would ask, here's an opportunity for, for you to be able to, and, and you too, sir, from a, from a TACPO CFM perspective, like, what do you have to message to those those junior and and seasoned TACPs and TACP officers on on a kind of a way forward and what where we're going because you you've laid out everything very well so far and and I just I want to take this opportunity to see what you've got to say because uh you know they're they're out there and they're listening yeah and so the first and foremost I would say you know while the cuts are look bad because nothing you never want to get anything cut by fifty percent um, there is actually a lot of good to this and not to be just discouraged by the cuts, right? So the, cur the cuts themselves have actually allowed us the opportunity to evolve quicker and get after a lot of this capability. And we're going to put TACP in a better place because of it. Additionally, you know, the, the we were probably a little fat to begin with anyways. And so the cuts allowed us to equalize with some of our sustainment funding um, so we can actually better equip guys now and stuff like that. So instead of having to share equipment, we're actually looking at how do we, you know, provide equipment one-to-one -one, um, for folks. Uh, we're looking at better simulations for simulators for guys. How do we train them better? Stuff like that. Um, so there is some good that has come from the cuts, not to be discouraged. Uh, the career field is, is on the right track, uh, and we will be a huge uh, force enabler and force um, 
Well, force enabler beyond just the uh, army in the future fight. Yeah, I, I probably won't add much to that. Uh, I will say in context, it, the career field is is on a good path. And I think a lot of the things that guys are doing right now, the the, the 66 whips doing stuff with the Wizants and all the things that they've got going on and bringing in some of the other tactics from, you know, active duty units or the, I'm sorry, the operational units is, is really helping us um, understand where some of those numbers and some of that equipment and, and the guys that the majors that we have on staff and the, and the guys doing the paperwork drills and answering the questions on what's next for equipment. Those guys are, are, are killing it. And, and we just need to keep, keep the understanding that what you've said, the cuts while they look bad on the surface and, and we want to be uh, woe is us and, and feel bad. It, it probably equals out in the end to, give us a better chance at, um, some better equipment, some better, better placement, um, with, within the, the air force's mindset. Um, and I think we can probably attest to that in some of the feedback we've gotten from the field thus far. Yeah. Outstanding. Totally got it. You know, you could, we, we're in violent agreement on some of this stuff, you know, people see cuts and they, they see, of course, all these bad things and you never want to see cuts, but sometimes that gives you the opportunity to be like, Hey, we were actually a little fat in this area and we can figure out how to lean this out and it can give us better effects in another area. And you only know that by opening up the books and looking at stuff and going, Hey, we have some opportunities for growth here. So for everybody that's looking to make that decision, we got a lot of people that are listening to this and they're literally, you know, listening to these podcasts, especially now it's a summer, people have graduated high school, they're starting to look at their next life and what it is that they want to do. What would you say to the candidates and chief, I'll, I'll start with you. What kind of advice would you give to those that are making the decision, the, the decision to come in as a tactical air control party airman? What would you say to them as they're preparing and coming in? Um, it, it can be a word of wisdom. It can be, you know, something about how you feel about where the career field is going. But for those, you know, 18 to, to 25 year olds that tune into the Ones Ready podcast to say, hey, this is what I want to do with my life. What are you excited about with TACP and what should they be excited about? So, I mean, anybody coming in should be uh, very excited, one, to just be joining the Air Force, but two, if they're looking at aspect war holistically, like you know, there's a lot, and obviously this has been focused on TACP, but just aspect war in general, the, the different career fields inside that, the different weapon systems, there's a lot of opportunity and a, and a lot of awesome skill sets that you can get in this um, environment that is beneficial to you outside of the, the military life, right? There's different skill sets, different just attitude building and stuff like that and confidence building that you can take into life after the military that you won't get anywhere else. Um, so I would encourage guys to think about that as they're making those considerations. Uh, you know, it is a hard life you'd be signing up for. You know, there's a lot of physical demanding aspects of it. There's some late nights um, associated with it. But at the end of the day, um, I would argue that there's no better job out there that makes you feel uh, relevant to the uh, joint force at whole and that you can actually put your finger on specific things you've done to, you know, uh, have pride in your nation and people you've defended and stuff like that. So um, there, there's a lot to get out of the career fields. And, you know, I've been in it for 24 years and I don't regret a day of it. So nice. Appreciate you, Chief. Major, what do you have to say to all those, you know, potential TACP officer hopefuls that are looking to get in here and, and really lead the force from the officer side? Yeah, I mean, like kind of like exactly what you just said, be, be ready to lead, um, be able to think on your toes and understand that there's going to be some very smart airmen. Um, I mean, guys who have already graduated, uh, you know, sorry, guys and girls who have already graduated with master's degrees that decided that 
hey, I, I, I just, I want to enlist in the military. That's, that's my next step. I, I, I don't want to be an officer and that's fine. And, and people make that decision in their own, their own time and space. So as a leader and, and a young leader, be ready to lead airmen that are smart, uh, and want direction and want guidance and want that, uh, that, that dude at the top or that girl at the top to, to understand the, the bigger picture. Uh, because at the end of the day, um, they enlisted to, to execute the mission. And while you chose the officer, officer route to execute the mission as well, there's, there's other expectations that are on officers that, um, that are not just from the bigger air force, but, but from the, the people you lead. And I, I think that the three of you could probably attest to that as well. So that's facts. Chief major, we appreciate you guys coming on. It is not, you know, I want to echo what peaches said earlier. It is not common to have the career field managers be open to this transparency, to this level of communication and to get the messaging out there from the horse's mouth. That takes a lot of courage on your part, takes a lot of moral courage as a guy that lives their life in the social media space. I understand how (laughs) spicy it can get sometimes. So we just want to say thank you for, for allowing us the opportunity to get this message out. We appreciate everything that you're doing. Keep leading hard and keep uh, making this aspect war mission happen because you guys really are going to have, you know, your names are going to echo in the next 10, 15, 20 years for where these career fields are going. So we appreciate you for everybody else out there that's listening. Thanks for tuning in. If you got any questions, hit us up on the DMs. We're happy to help. And from here on out, CFMs, baby, TACP death on call. We're going to start having TACP Tuesdays on the podcast. You guys can just come on whenever you want. (laughs) Yeah, I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thanks very much, everybody. We'll see you all out there Uh, for now. uh, We're good. Train hard. Light up. I talked a little bit earlier about TACP spreading their wings, and I wanted to touch on two initiatives that are very exciting, Um, one of which is uh, in the Aspect War community, we are teaming up with the uh, GA community and uh, putting TACPs inside the rescue squadrons to enable that uh, C2 capability, and, you know, we're testing out the how TACP might be able to bring in some lethal fires capabilities to the uh, PR mission for force protection measures and stuff like that. Um, so we uh, actually just put out some ads and we've got the first uh, four uh, P's here within ACC headed that way this summer. And then uh, USAFE's got one and PACAF and the NGB are looking at how they follow suit on that. So that's very exciting and how we uh, bolster up that uh, aspect war mission um, and, and share those equities and skill sets. And then the other one is that um, it was tested out in uh, Ukraine uh, when that all kicked off over there in Europe, but the uh, Agile Control and Integration Team, uh, or otherwise known as ACIT, and that's where we're taking, uh, you know, those teams of TACPC2 that we talked about um, and breaking, you know, parts of those teams off, full teams, whatever it may be, again, very tailorable UTCs, but we're teaming with other C2 ground-based C2 elements within the Air Force and uh, get enabling those elements to move forward, uh, become you know more survivable by not being as large, uh, enabling them to um, become smaller nodes, move forward in the tactical uh, environment and um, employ their uh, positive control capabilities while TechP continues to employ the joint fires and integration capabilities. So two, two very exciting initiatives that I wanted to uh, capture in this.